Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski, the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have Robert Craig, our Executive Director here at Citizen Action with us. Robert, good to have you. Great to see you on this great, uh, I guess, early, we're still early because we'll call it spring day in Wisconsin, but we're getting to summer. Oh yeah, folks. And again, uh, enjoy summer because it is short here. But folks, we have some huge news that we are going to break immediately on this podcast. Maybe by the time you hear this, you may have heard, but probably not. Citizen Actions Board uh, has endorsed Mandela Barnes for the United States Senate. And we are thrilled to have Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes with us to talk about the endorsement. Mandela, it is great to have you. Thanks for joining us. Well, Matt Robert, it is uh, really exciting to be back here. And I just can't thank you enough and the organization for the support. Uh, really excited to continue this partnership. We've worked together for a long time now, and I'm excited about the idea that we can finally get rid of Ron Johnson together. Look, Mandela, you are no stranger to this show. As you just mentioned, we have been in partnership for a long time, and that was an important critical part of our process that you are someone who has been a part of our movement. You've been a part of Citizen Action for a number of years. Your agenda aligns with us. So it's, uh, it's great. Uh, it, it, it's a well-earned endorsement. But again, we've been working with you on a number of issues over, you know, over the years, both uh, when you were in the uh, state legislature, but also as Lieutenant Governor and in particular, uh, around addressing the climate uh, genocide we're headed for. Wanted to immediately get your thoughts about that as a, a critical issue and, and something really important that a lot of our folks care about and I know is near and dear to your heart. Uh, just get your thoughts on that. And then, uh, Robert, you can take the next question. I mean, even before the assembly, Matt, this, is, this goes back to organizing days. We've been working together. You know, Citizen Action was there that very first race because we had that history with each other, because we had that uh, that track record. And uh, in terms of the agenda, especially as it relates to climate change, we know that we need bold solutions. We need comprehensive solutions. We also need in-depth thought as we address the crisis. Now, I'm proud of the work that we've done on our task force. I'm proud of the work that Citizen Action did on the Milwaukee County Task Force. Because now that we have all the knowledge, all the research, uh, the understanding of the things that it'll take to push us in the right direction, we need help from Congress to make this a reality. Now, looking at the threats as they exist, whether it is the warming of the Great Lakes, Lake Superior warming up quicker than the rest of the Great Lakes, we have Lake Michigan uh, with a threatened perch population, fisheries, tourism, all these things are in crisis. Our economies are in crisis. People's lives and livelihoods are in crisis. I, I talk about, you know, stories in rural Wisconsin all the time during these catastrophic historic weather events, um, whether it's the flooding that has wiped out infrastructure or the flooding that is uh, delayed crops and uh, created all sorts of uncertainty. You know, we talk about the path for rural America to actually be a part of the solution to address climate, the climate crisis, whether it's through regenerative agriculture, more sustainable farming practices, you name it. And investing full scale in renewable energy is also an opportunity for us to bring back so many good paying manufacturing jobs here in Wisconsin. We have a unique opportunity. And if we don't take advantage of it, we will uh, meet that crisis moment that none of us is prepared for. Robert. 
Yeah, I think, and you and Matt spoke to this. Um, I think endorsement sometimes for candidates is not dissimilar to, to deciding on, say, some people applying for jobs. I mean, you can look at their record, you can look at what they say in a questionnaire, you can look at what they say in a form, what they commit to. There's a lot in politics of uh, endorsing people because of what they say in a campaign when they're interested in getting the endorsement. And then I think there's a higher level when you go way back with someone, you know who they are and you know what they believe in and you know how they'll act in different situations. And uh, I, I think this had a huge impact on the endorsement because we've known you and a number of board members have known you since you were a young organizer, right? You didn't come in starting to like run for office. You came from a social justice standpoint. You come from a great union family and your parents have been very present in your career, you know, a lot of events. And in fact, your dad is, I just uh, learned, still a, a regular dues-paying member of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, but that's the kind of man he is, right? And so uh, a great union guy and one of the friendliest people you can meet in an event. And so I think that I think that's really important because we're trying to project something really important. You're going to be one of 100 people, right, in Congress, in the U.S. Senate, which has all this power, and you'd be the 13th African-American ever elected to the U.S. Senate. And lots of those were during Reconstruction before the last crackdown on multiracial democracy, our first failed experiment in that. I hope we're not in the second, but it's under risk. I mean, failed experiments since the 1960s. Um, and you'd be either the third or fourth currently, depending on Raphael Warnock's reelection to a full term, right? Because you'd be the fourth if Senator Warnock is reelected, which hopefully he will be. So I'd, I'd love you to reflect on that. But then also, and just how this affect, how this relates to your life history, but then what it means to, to really start to diversify the U.S. Senate and how your life history is different than a lot of the U.S. senators, right? And it's at the other levels, not just race. It's also that you're actually an average working class guy from a middle class household, not from not from wealth. But then the second thing is, we, you know, our big issues are climate and healthcare. We were very impressed with you on healthcare as well, uh, because I think you believe that the for-profit healthcare system is privileging profit over people and that we need to make sure everyone is has access to healthcare no matter what. It can't be taken away and that's about that and not just about quarterly balance sheets. Well, absolutely. And my own experience, my candidacy, I should say, has been informed by my personal experience. And that personal experience is missing from the U.S. Senate. The U.S. Senate is so incredibly broken. The average uh, American experience is not present in that body and that's why we see so much stalled legislation when it comes to improving people's quality of life. Now, on an issue of healthcare, I mean, I've had my own healthcare story. I broke my arm once and didn't have health insurance and got the runaround and was left with a large bill that took a long time to get settled. And there are just simply not enough people currently in the U.S. Senate who have similar experiences. Now, I'm not wishing, you know, uh, I'm not wishing any sort of um, any sort of catastrophe on anybody by, by any means. Uh, what I am saying is that the people who have been impacted the most by the policies that the Senate fails to address are missing from that body. And that's why we see the gross inaction uh, taking place. And when it comes to healthcare, 
healthcare is a fundamental human right. Everybody should have healthcare in this country. We are the most wealthy nation in the entire country over the course of the pandemic. Uh, billionaire wealth increased a trillion and a half dollars. Seven million people found themselves in poverty for the first time. This speaks to so many of the larger structural issues that Congress has a responsibility but has yet to act on. Mandela, you you hit on something. You were talking about your lived experiences. Um, I was struck by your first television ad, and you put a link to it. Encourage folks to <clears throat> to watch it by your ability to relate and talk about the experiences people are facing. And let's talk about it honestly. It is rough time right now for a lot of folks. Right, we're coming out of still in a pandemic, coming out of trying to, but inflation, costs, these, this is real. It's impacting folks. Even some folks who've been fortunate enough uh, to, for the first time in a long time, see their economic prospects in terms of getting some pay increases happen. Inflation and all these costs are hitting. You spoke directly to that in your lived experience. And quite frankly, to the division, the other side is trying to do amongst the working class and you know whether that be the professional working class represented by your mother as an educator and your father uh the more traditional working class which really needs to be aligned in order for us to actually win and i want you to talk about that because i believe that will carry the day throughout wisconsin that is desperately needed and it's a voice that's needed every spot of the state could you speak to that yeah, I'll tell you, these prices, the inflation that people are experiencing, this transcends all the other boundaries that have kept people separate, whether it's race, whether it's geography, uh, people are feeling the pinch. And if we are going to organize towards that multiracial uh, democracy, we have to take on those issues. And I don't know that there's been a moment quite like this where we can honestly pretty easily take on these issues. And the fact is Republicans are doing whatever they can to distract from what's really taking place. You have the people like Ron Johnson, who has spent his time delivering tax breaks for himself, his wealthy donors, people in his tax bracket, you know, while everybody else gets left behind. So he says uh, crazy, insane things. He peddles conspiracy theories because what is actually happening, he doesn't want to be held accountable. He doesn't want to take responsibility for the things that he's chosen not to do, whether it's voting against the infrastructure bill without even reading it, whether it's not supporting uh, childcare in a time where this is one of people's biggest concerns in all communities across state and across the country, or even the fact that he is complicit in a thousand good union paying jobs in his own backyard of Oshkosh going down to South Carolina. Now, we deserve so much more. And if we're gonna talk about building the rebuilding the middle class, giving middle or giving working class people in this state, in this country, uh, an opportunity to get ahead, empowering communities. Uh, that's something that's not going to happen while Ron Johnson is in office. Well, look, Mandela, um, I'm really, we are really, really glad you chose to lead and run for this office. You've always done that throughout your career. You've had a clear vision that vision has always been aligned with this broader progressive movement that we're all trying to build. And I just want to leave it with this, uh, give you a chance to close. Uh, when I think of you, Mandela, I think your story about you, as you like to say, it is a Wisconsin story. Um, 
So with that, give you your last thoughts before we uh, say goodbye to you today. Yeah, it is a very Wisconsin story, but I can tell you, uh, as uh, excited as I am to have your support, I want to remind people that this is not going to be an easy race by any means. Uh, but it's not the hard part that scares me because when we're in this together, it'll be that much easier showing up in every community, knocking on doors, making the phone calls, just reminding people that better is possible. Reminding people that we are not in this to leave people behind. This is about lifting everybody up. And uh, I'll tell you, the people like Ron Johnson, uh, they've had their day. That was the old way. And uh, it's our time now. Well, I was going to say one reason that Mandela needs to win is you'll be the second former Citizen Action Wisconsin board member in the U.S. Senate and the third in Congress with Congressman Pocan. So we got to, I think that got to be, I don't think there's a group that can match up to that. So you got to elect Mandela for that too, in addition to all the better reasons Mandela just. Okay, folks, I, I want to, first of all, just thank Mandela for joining us and let you all know we're getting active uh, next Thursday will be our first phone bank, which we'll be doing in coordination with our national network, People's Action. We'll join people from all over the country making calls for Mandela. All right, Mandela, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. We look forward to uh, fighting with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, folks. With that, we got to take our first break. That's some exciting news. What a great way to start the show. Mandela Barnes, the United States Senate. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Well, that was uh, pretty exciting, Robert. I must I must say uh, it was great to talk to Lieutenant Governor Barnes about about this important campaign. It's very exciting to be in this mix, and we look forward to to this fight. And um, uh, but Robert, we're gonna we're gonna change we're gonna change topics. We're gonna dive in. There's so much. There's so much going on this week. Uh, quite frankly, I would have loved to have had the lieutenant governor on for longer, but we, there's a lot we need to talk about, including, you know, the Robert, the U.S. Senate race is not the only race going on. I think our listeners know um, Wisconsin is going to have one of the most important congressional house races in the country. It's got if there was a dirty dozen, you give your fancy name or whatever, you know, I'm sure some national Poll. They get. They got their. They've got their top ten list. This would be on it because it's super important. This is the seat Ron Kind in Western Wisconsin is giving up. He is retiring. Ron's been there for two decades, right? You know, it's not like uh, he hasn't served his time, and and so he is stepping down. And so it's an open seat, and it is very competitive. There are four Democrats uh, running against. <laughs> Someone who is an insurrectionist was at the January 6th insurrection events. We'll talk more about that at another time, but I want to focus on the Democrats because last night we at Citizen Action, and that was uh, Wednesday night, had a forum, a virtual forum with the four leading Democratic candidates uh, that was put on by our three organizing cooperatives that we have in that congressional district, both Northwestern Wisconsin, which is based out of the Eau Claire area, but covers a broader area. Um, the North Central Co-op, which is out of the Wausau area, but also goes into Stevens Point and up north a bit. And our Driftless Co-op, 
which is one of our newer co-ops, but rapidly growing. And that is, of course, in the southwestern Wisconsin area, really uh, centered in the La Crosse, Viroqua area. But we had members from all over this area participating, asking questions. It was a fantastic forum, um, and it is available for you to watch live on Facebook. I will we'll have a link to that so you can go watch it. And then we would like your inputs, especially if you are a member of Citizen Action. And I encourage you to be a member. You can join today. Um, we are taking those surveys, taking our member information. We're providing that to our leadership because that's going to help us decide whether we should endorse in that race. Robert, it was uh, quite a night. I thought, I thought, first of all, our members asked phenomenal questions and they were amazing and from all over the district, which was impressive. But the candidates, um, your, your reaction to the event? Well, let me center, as you started, the race itself. This is to remind our listeners the only redistricting victory the Democrats got. The other one, which was a, which was a, a partial victory, was taken away by the shadow ducket of the U.S. Supreme Court and Amy Coney Barrett, an illegitimate Trump-appointed U.S. Supreme Court justice for life. So the Republicans tried to make this district unwinnable for Democrats and the, the Maps Evers uh, put, by taking out Wood and Portage County, essentially, which are more Democratic-leaning areas, uh, especially the, the, the three cities in those two counties. And uh, they, they failed, and Evers' Maps held, and so this is still a competitive seat. Nonetheless, what we have seen is that we, have, we as in Democrats and progressives have been losing ground electorally everywhere but the cities in Wisconsin and the metro areas of Milwaukee and Madison, including the Milwaukee suburbs, depending, you know, more inner suburbs. Uh, by inner, I mean all the way to the inner Wow County suburbs, uh, as Washington, Ozaki and Washington. And so this is a real test. This Derek Van Orden, an insurrectionist. <gasps> you said his name. Came within three points of Ron Kind in the last election, okay? So this is a highly competitive race, Western Wisconsin, the rural areas still lean more progressive than other rural areas, but they've also moved much uh, lighter, more towards light red. They used to be purple or even light blue. And so we need to turn that around. That's why we're doing the deep organizing, why we have three membership chapters we call organizing co-ops that intersect the third congressional district. And so we were in a position to put on what one candidate told us was the largest forum they've had so far last night. Great questions from members who all live there and are very actively involved. And a, the usual kind of dynamic in the race, because there is still kind of a tug of war between the centrist and the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. In Congress, they're more progressive than we've seen in 50 years. And actually, most moderates have moved Further left, they all, except for two non-Democrats in the U.S. Senate, supported the $3.2 trillion Biden build back uh, better, better agenda, which would have been the greatest advance to social policy and for climate uh, achieved since the 1930s and climate ever since nothing was done that we know about that in the 1930s about global warming. And so... Um, even moderates aren't as moderate as they were, say, in the 1990s. And this has the whole range. I, uh, we have the, the, the front runner, who's a sitting state senator, Brad Pfaff, right? Who is Oh, declaring him a front runner. Just uh, well, he's the presumed. He may not be. 
Um, so I'm going to say it uh, according to, you know, Scuttlebutt. That doesn't make According it to Robert Craig, Brad Pratt. I don't do that horse racing that way. Okay, so um, this, anyway, I, I assume he's the only candidate anyone statewide heard of, probably. He was also an agricultural secretary before the race started. That's really all I mean. Mark Newman, he was the host of the Healthcare for All show. I don't mean our members. I mean statewide with the public. And uh, so anyway, I understand. Uh, Sorry, Mark is known I'll, by stop bother- I'll stop bothering you now. And I would say that Brad is running in the most moderate lane. I, I'm wondering if he's uh, to the to the right actually of most moderates in Congress. Uh, for for uh, it would be a concern. And then we have someone on the the left flank, which would be Mark Newman. You represented, and we have two women running. Matt, why don't you say something about them? Who are who are who are very interesting and are and are harder to pigeonhole. But I would say that. That Rebecca Cook is certainly running in a in in, in the progressive side of the party as well, though, pro, but not not as progressively as Mark Newman. And you can characterize Deb if look, you want. Look, I strongly encourage you all to listen to this and and draw your own conclusions. I don't want to overly prescribe, but I'll just say I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I think both Deb McGrath and Rebecca Cook. Um, are, 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 are strong candidates. I, I was very also, I'll admit, I was very imp- impressed with Rebecca. I think she's, she's an, she to me is an excellent communicator and I think comes across that way. And, and that's, a, that's certainly a strength. Um, but look, uh, I don't want to say too much because I think all of these candidates certainly come to the table with certain strengths uh, from a viability standpoint. Um, but folks, it's really important that you watch this. Go check this race out because it's super important. And, you know, whoever you may want to support, they could possibly use your help. And you don't have to live in the district, right? Resources for your favorite candidate is never a bad thing for us to be doing as progressives. So please watch it. If you're a member, fill out a survey. Again, become a member. If you're not a member, you should be. So I want to encourage folks to participate, look in that, and we will look and our leaders will consider all the information. The candidates also have filled out questionnaires and they're going to consider an endorsement and whether that is uh, in the cards, but that would then finally be determined by our board. But nonetheless, folks, please, very exciting race. And I want to add in addition, Robert, to the third uh, congressional district, Uh, Last week, all the nomination papers were due for fall candidates. So uh, we obviously launched this because we are in now the thick of what we call the fall election season. So um, the field is pretty well set with one exception. Robert, it appears uh, Tim Michaels papers (laughs) are being challenged. We may hear about that uh, on on Friday, but uh, folks, All the state legislative candidates are in. We are heavy in endorsement season. If you are a member, reach out to one of your organizers. If you'd like to be involved and get more involved in either helping us screen and uh, these candidates and talk to them and figure out who we should be supporting. If you're a co-op member, you can be involved in that process or getting involved once we make endorsements and starting to help these candidates. So please consider uh, joining the co-op. Robert, any further thoughts on the upcoming fall election? 
Well, we've talked about the two top federal races. We'll have to spend some more time on state races soon. Uh, governor's race, state legislature, and the terrible gerrymandered situation, but the need to protect, uh, to protect a veto override majority to prevent, you know, even if Governor Evers is reelected, from him being overridden by both houses. Uh, not because the, the public would ever vote that Republican, but because of the maps they got to get through, they got to set the playing field. It is sort of like if the Bears got to set up a playing field that only worked for them and not the Packers. It really is. I mean, that's what that that's the level of sportsmanship and fairness and democracy we have in this state right now. Uh, so I I think that um, there we have the question of ballot access. You mentioned the most uh, the biggest high profile question and that is around whether the Trump endorsed uh, candidate for governor, Tim Michaels, will be on the ballot or not who is running fascistic. I will say racist ads because, well, I, Matt said this, I'm stealing something Matt said to me, and that is, if you have to say it's not racist in your ad, that it probably is. You might want to <laughs> consider whether your ad is actually racist. <laughs> and um, it's called immigration and, 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 and migrants are their favorite whipping horse. Uh, in their othering attempt to divide and conquer. And so the pro question is, and we'll get this another segment, what will be the nature of the Wisconsin Election Commission when they decide ballot access for that race and some other races that are contested on Friday? So excited, so excited about the Mandela endorsement. Want to remind you, though, before we go to our second break, uh, we will be starting calls for Mandela Barnes next week, Thursday evening. Uh, stay tuned, get involved. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Robert and I are talking about elections. Yes, we announced the endorsement of Mandela Barnes first segment. Yes, we talked about the most critically important third congressional district race and other things that are going on. And Robert, you mentioned the Wisconsin Election Commission. So we talked about the very, um, shall we say, public re retirement. Uh, I'm walking away of Dean Knudsen at the Wisconsin Election Commission as one of their Republican commissioners a couple of weeks ago. Well, Voss appointed a new commissioner, Robert. Is this some young new whippersnapper or some old codger from the Republican dark ages? Who is it? Our listeners want to know. Well, um, it was unclear because Robin Voss, who makes this appointment, um, is under heavy pressure to not have Donald Trump destroy his political career, which is why the Gableman clown car investigation seems to continue. And so it was unclear if he was going to support uh, put, put in an outright insurrectionist or he was going to, who he was going to put out. So he put out kind of a blast from the past. He put out a uh, he put out someone who served in the Tommy years on the pre on a previous election commission, and uh, worked for uh, Republican state senators. And uh, this person, it's a little hard to tell because the media doesn't seem to really have any information on where he might stand on things like whether or not the 2020 election uh, was actually fairly decided or anything but, like that. Robert, but I'm sure a you lawyer did named Don Milius, is it pronounced that? A, a lawyer yeah. from suburban Madison, and he has strongly recommended by Tommy Thompson, but 
I mean, Tommy went on bended knee to Mar-a-Lago, so who knows? And then by less, less, a little more scarily, Michael Gableman, who also will be in court at the same on the same the same time the election commission is meeting around his shredding of our state's open record oh, laws. Wait, are you are you talking about the holiday this Friday, Gableman Friday? Um, where we have two different Gableman incidents occurring at the same time, Robert, could you <laughs> tell our listeners about Gableman Friday tomorrow, by the way, Gableman Friday? Well, I assume the first one's the insurrection and whether we have an insurrectionist uh, election commission. And we, we told you this before, but the, the next chair who controls the agenda and certifies the popular vote canvas, okay, has to be a Republican. It either has to be Swindell, the member, current member of the election commission, who was one of the fake electors. So he's an insurrectionist. He was part of the coup that would be discussed last night in the primetime hearings of the January 6th commission. And then, um, in a, but, but, and then this, this Millis or Milius or however you pronounce it. And we don't know who will be made chair. And we could have Swindell, someone who is an insurrectionist and doesn't think, and, and thinks it was okay to have fraudulently and notarized electors that were not the real electors be sent to Congress uh, by Wisconsin and, that see, that, and secretly meet in the Capitol without telling anyone. That is who Mr. Swindell is. And by the way, he's the only one of the six election commissioners that various cranks like the mayor, of, like the uh, sheriff of Racine County are, aren't trying to charge with felonies and refer them to prosecution because he uh, he was willing to fraud to fraudulently send in his name as an elector when he wasn't. Well, so and don't forget what happened. Also on Gableman Friday, he's supposed to be appearing in court, right? For his, you know, open and transparent. They're shredding trial. records. No, they think I mean, they I'm get sorry, away with anything. Uh, he's supposed to be an esteemed Supreme Court justice who understands the law and he presents up that way. Apparently laws, and this is a right-wing thing, a Republican thing, those apply to other people. Those apply to a young African-American kid caught with a little pot who has his life destroyed. They don't apply to Michael Gableman, you know, being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for fake investigation and then not even re uh, retaining the records the public has a, and the media have a right to see. That is, so uh, Judge Remington is, they tried not to go, um, insisting upon his appearance in court on Friday. Yeah, well, we'll see. I don't expect... Gableman to be showing up, but we will continue to track uh, Michael Gableman's trails of uh, destroying democracy. But Robert, I, I I do need to raise something. There was there there was something very important this week. I immediately thought of our former panelist Claire Zauki because you know the last couple of years it's been a bit traumatic uh, the whole COVID situation and. It was amazing to have someone like Claire around to constantly uh, be able to think and discuss COVID coherently on this uh, podcast. But um, I remember when we were talking about this early on, how angry and upset we were when the Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce blocked public data. This is open record. This is data that should be in the public domain around how uh, many businesses were testing, how many of their workers had COVID. Not, not details of who they are, all that, just straight data. Like the same data that was released on all of us 
right? With aggregate numbers, right? Oh, there were X number of positive tests today. Well, that was sued. So the WMC held it up and the Supreme Court this week finally ruled four to three decision, again, another close decision that that was bunk, that these do not apply, that these needed to be publicly accessible. It is worth noting Brian Hagedorn, again, voted with the um, more liberal justices on this. Um, Robert, I, I want to first get your comment on this, but then I we do have to talk about the dissent, in particular Justice Ziegler, and the complete lack of any, like it's just the worst reasoned dissent I think I've ever heard of, but you'll probably be able to think of one or two. Robert, um, finally... The the open records prevails. It's a democracy. Very disturbing. I'll um, I'll not step on your fire on the dissent, though I have much to say about it as well. So let me set you up by talking about uh, where we are and and what happened with this decision. And then we can talk about the, the dissent of Justice Ziegler. I put it in quotes and I and 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 italics. So look. They've already won. This is the business interest. This is Wisconsin Manufacturing Commerce. They rigged this Supreme Court. And they've actually got a Supreme Court that won't recuse itself, even though the conservatives were elected with their money. Okay. Now, people will critique me and say, oh, they didn't give the money directly. Yeah, they also are behind dark money conspiracy so they can hide it. But everybody knows. Okay. And they they changed the law to allow it. But then they present themselves as as independent economic experts at government to help us. Uh, So they, remember, they've already won because in 2020, it mattered a lot to people where there were big outbreaks in workplaces, right? It did. In in meatpacking houses, a lot of places that were being heedless and putting profit over lives, okay? A lot of people died because of this behavior. They they prevented that from coming out when it should have come out. And so now we're a couple years later, uh, the Supreme Court's ruled uh, because Hagedorn is willing uh, occasionally to go with the law. Legal experts say that he's not necessarily legally consistent either, but at least he's, it, it, whether he's erratic or whether he's a, he's a better lawyer than the others, the other three conservatives are reliably political, no matter what, uh, you know, never mind what the law says or no, no, no matter the facts, which I think we'll get to with Justice Siegler and this absurd decision. So they've already won. Even eventually disclosing this information will not cause the damage it should have to companies that were killing people for profit in the height of the pandemic before there was a vaccine. OK, um, and they're, they're still not out, by the way. I mean, it's amazing how quickly the Supreme Court tried to destroy all the evidence in the John Doe investigation against Walker. Uh, They tried to destroy it quickly with no process so that it would go away. Um, And but this was remanded back to the Waukesha County Circuit Court judge. So we're still he's he or she I've forgotten the judge's name. I apologize. Are going to have another process to release this. So we still don't know. But I guess. Having said that, already, I think our slow, pokey criminal justice system that has no capacity, apparently, to act quickly in urgent situations, and we're seeing that with the January 6th investigation. It's like a lot of what was not done to investigate Trump is because it, they would tie it up in court forever because it would legally take too long. 
I'm sorry, this is where you get emergency judgments in order to protect the country, in this case, the public health. <laughs> but aside from that, then we get the dissent, which is even which is equally offensive. So go ahead, Matt. Uh, you have you have some understandable yeah. and, and, and righteous passion about this. Look, it is really important that that this dissent be understood for how weak it is, because three of the judges justices supported this and we know Hagedorn right that so we're, we're we're really close to where this is the logic that would have would have held sway Ziegler essentially says that the decision essentially says that your that the the aggregate data that the employers were going to have to release or that was a public record is the same as your personal medical records, which is makes absolutely no logical sense because it's not anyone's personal medical records, which is the whole point of why we like protect personal med. It is just the aggregate numbers of people who tested positive, right? The the, the numbers that the state had. It's like, and, and, and it's a deliberate effort. PR effort, her dissent, to conflate that because most people will not dive in and think it through. They will just hear in their media and they won't get any kind of, you know, because we know the way the media operates, we're, we're, we're set up in, in, in our own camp. So they will get their media that will only give that bizarre dissent and no context. And this is important because this is the WMC, this is the corporate powers, and this is our basic freedom to access to information. This happened to be, uh, you know, basic information about life or death, as Robert said, in the middle of a pandemic, nothing very serious, right? But like, let's talk about the extension and where this goes, right? When you have courts that are just as flimsy as this, that that actually could have been the, the, the governing verdict. We're going to have those investigations Robert just mentioned about what uh, that have taken forever, by the way, right, are going to occur tonight on national TV, right? It's going to be a big deal. Well, you know what? It's the same jokers, right? If we don't get a hold of this behind all of this, right, all of this and the corporate elites, I'm sorry, like this is this is very disturbing. I know we got to take a break. My producer, I believe, is waving at me, telling me we got to take a break. Folks, we'll get Robert's comments on the back end of this break. You're listening to the Battle by Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin, Robert. So, like, I know you think Ziegler's, uh, you've talked often about how great and smart her logic is. And no, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. This is crazy. I mean, I've often said that giving judges lifetime appointments like you know what we see in with with the supreme court the u.s supreme court or 10 years uh in in wisconsin for the supreme court that when they're legislating uh these are politicians in robes and uh, that's unfair to other politicians who are ethical these are right-wing insurrectionist politicians in robes okay so i think you give her a lot of credit matt for suggesting it's even a credible legal argument that that it that is weak, it's not an argument. It's something like what Tucker Carlson does. Okay, her side isn't going to check 
whether personal information is coming out. It's a trigger, but they're going to say, oh, I didn't know that. Maybe this should, maybe this is a bad idea. And guess who has the same messaging? If you read the press coverage, Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce. She's parroting a propaganda line from a right-wing business lobby that's dominated this state's politics. They were behind the creation of Scott Walker. Robin Voss can't exist without their agreement. Um, that's what this is. So we're not even in the realm of at least Amy Coney Barrett, when she intervened and rigged Wisconsin's elections, tried to make a, a legal argument that a law professor might actually be able to present to first year law students, even if it was fallacious. This isn't even something that that you could present at Thanksgiving dinner as a legal argument, given the facts, because, and in fact, the implication is, wait for it, folks, why can we have any aggregate data? Why can we know how much COVID cases there can be, how, what, or any other pandemic or, or problem occurring? Can, do we get to know how many gun deaths there are? Is that personal That's medical personal, information? It's personal medical information, it's Robert. unbelievable. And you know where, what? If it's in the corporate interest, that is where all this is going, folks. And if it's not, there'll still be some information. Or if information is in their interest, believe you me, there'll be full disclosure. That's the new rules. The new rules are, they're the Gableman rules. Laws apply to you, people I don't like, not to me. I'm chosen, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the real Americans or something. And I, I could throw in other things on what that, how that's defined. Well, before this show wraps up, Robert, I want to give you, and I know you just were talking, I'm going to be coming back at you a little bit here, but um, we've, been, we, we've been spending a lot of time talking uh, about criminal justice reform in, in particular, um, how we deal with policing. And we've also been talking about how that's been, we feel been rolling back and we felt it and discussed it in the elections here, uh, in the spring elections, the Milwaukee mayor's race, other things. We've talked about it. Um, it's been going on for a bit of time. Uh, the Philadelphia DA, Krasner, held it off in l last year and, and was able to get reelected. But um, Robert, tell our listeners more. I think they've heard news about what happened in San Francisco. Um, but if you hear it on the news, it's basically former 60s radical son, you know, crime, carjackings. Um, but essentially, it was a recall election and lost. So a, a shall we say, a reformist um, uh, a DA losing. Robert, some more details and why this is really important in the broader movement uh, for Black Lives Matter. Okay, I think that this is very important for us to understand as a people who are trying to change racist structures, how hard it is. I think young people and, and people who take to the streets and energize at first are to be forgiven for not knowing that structural means there are all sorts of barriers to actually ever threatening the current order. This will show you that. The context is that there's a a large crime spike augmented further by media coverage to make it even look bigger than it is, which is clickbait for local television and others and politicians. But it's, there also is something real that probably has something to do with COVID and the change in the economy that's happening in all cities, whether they have progressive prosecutors or not. Now, we also have at the same time 
coming uh, building steam in the in in the last uh, in last five or six years, and especially with the reaction to the police murder of George Floyd, um, a real push to deal with prosecutors who have the most power in these decisions. And we have a new breed of progressive prosecutors. Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, Kim Fox in Chicago are standing examples. And San Francisco had one too until this happened. And uh, there's no reason for us to in Wisconsin to, to know that che, uh, to give Chesa Bodine, uh, I think he's a, a, a household name. He certainly was in San Francisco. Then you have San Francisco a very progressive, but a very wealthy area, which is part of the problem with kind of the non-working class left, right? As soon as the backlash has started and backlashes occur faster now, in other words, the backlash against reconstruction took years and what was called redemption, which was the imposition of Jim Crow, the backlash against civil rights and the voting of civil rights act took a while, right? Gained steam into the Reagan revolution or de-evolution really. Uh, now, because movements are built so quickly on social media, they decline as quickly as well, because in many ways, the underlying preparation that we had for movements in the past, building a clear ideological consensus and a theory of how we're actually gonna beat the system doesn't happen. In other words, too many people are mobilized quickly without any shared consensus being built. That's the kind of work Citizen Action Wisconsin our national people's action and a federation of groups like us. That's what we do. We try to build this over time, how we're gonna win for the radical reform we need. And so what's happened is a violent swing back that is not evidence-based. In other words, it's easy to say by the demagogues, by the right, by the police, that this is because Chesa Bodine you know, loosened up on, on things, right? He didn't throw away, you know, low-level drug offenders. They, they didn't do, they, they moved away from uh, keeping you in jail when you're accused of a crime because you're poor, cash bail, things like that, right? When it has nothing to do with it because the tough on crime traditional cities have had the same spike. And it tells you even on the left, how quickly progressives who say they're progressive on social media put Black Lives Matter on their houses if they feel unsafe will shift. So there's that going on, but that's also analysis of the way humans are, okay? And also the fact that our base is not uh, is not the whole multiracial working class enough. It, it's too elite, right? Too many college-educated people. But the other thing is the people who could have developed because this is all a debate of public safety and over-policing and over-prosecution is not the best way to increase public safety. It doesn't do it. It's a lie, okay? There were 19 police officers at the massacre in Texas who sat in the hall and didn't stop anything, right? Uh, so just to be clear. And so what we need to do, though, is we need to take criminal justice reform and make a more compelling explanation of why it would create more public safety, which the public wants, and explain it to average voters and people because they haven't had it explained to them. And when they think they're fearful about crime, they turn to more police because that's all they know and that's the default, that is the conventional wisdom. So this is a cautionary note of how much work there is to do. And I would just say, I do not blame the activists in the streets. They are not responsible for doing this deeper thought. It's the Democratic Party as a whole and it is progressives who have the capacity to do it, who are in permanent organizations. And we of a movement have so far failed to explain why criminal justice reform and actually not criminalizing low-income people of color, but simply because they're low-income people of color, uh, why that actually, if you made the right investments, would make us safer. We need to win that debate. Absolutely. It's, and 
look, Robert, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. The reality is too many people still believe more police make us safer. And until we start to change that and start to broaden that out, right, that we need, we need to broaden our definition of what is public safety, right? And, and that's probably our best hope. But right now, Robert, you laid out a real problem. Uh, folks, we're going to continue. And, and I was going to say, Matt, we have mainline Democrats jumping to more police to win elections right now, which reinforces it. Yeah. They're doing positive damage and then being mad that anyone calls them on it, which we're, we've gotten a lot of backlash for actually bringing this up with people who consider themselves progressives, but their their experts, their political experts told them they should say this. And I'm talking about candidates for high profile offices, folks. I'm not gonna personalize it right now. I mean, the president of the United States saying, I'm for funding the police, right? That's what I'm talking about. Well, look, we're taking also, look, there's gotta be self-analysis. This, this is not an issue that our organization was heavily involved in years ago. We are trying to improve and do better. It's that's what our analysis is now. We're in, and it's absolutely critical. If you watch that third congressional district forum, it's the first question asked by one of our members. What are you going to do about this? We are not going to run away from it. We're going to ask it everywhere, and we're going to hold folks, no matter you know where you live, to trying to do better on this uh, and. Uh, in making sure that we educate folks. It's also a core part of our field work. And it has been for a couple of years. We are making sure we talk to voters, talk to people about this, about the othering, about immigration, about race, and how it impacts our views across issues. So we are engaged in this fight for permanent. And you need to, to please join our co-ops, consider joining Citizen Action. We'll have a link for that. Robert, you got to take I'll a let, second. I'll let you be the judge. You can listen to the whole forum on our on our uh, in our podcast page, Battle Run Wisconsin page. The link will be there. Um, but I think that was the weakest section as far as the answers, and it comes near the beginning. Others could disagree. I'd be interested in people's thoughts on that. I, so I think there's a long way to go for every side of the party. I'm not saying the responses were god awful, but I'm saying they were not nearly as compelling as a lot of other issues we brought up. Folks, we got to run out of here. Don't forget Brewfest. Come visit our new office on Wednesday, June 22nd in Milwaukee. We've got details on the web links. Folks, see you next week at the Battleground, Wisconsin.